Welcome to this edition of the BRFCS podcast, in which we catch up with someone who follows Rovers home and away to, well, almost every game. But first, a message from Major League Baseball outfielder and designated hitter and Rookie of the Year 1986, Most Valuable Player Award 1988, and six-time All-Star Jose Canseco, addressed to one Bradley Dack. Hey buddy, this is Jose Canseco, 1986 Rookie of the Year, 19 MVP, Mr. 40-40. To Bradley Dack, you are an athlete on my level. Keep killing it at the Blackburn Rovers and scoring those goals, man. Love for me and your friends at New York Rovers. Take care, buddy. And thanks to our great friends at New York City Rovers for arranging that message from Jose Canseco to our own Bradley Dack. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome as our special guest on this episode of the podcast, the Roving Rovers reporter, Rich Sharp. Rich, it's been a while since we last had you on, but how are you? Yeah, indeed, very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, You're very welcome. Honoured guest. Honoured guest. (laughs) Now, you, I guess, you must be the person that's closest to the club without actually being an employee. So, what's your perspective about what the expectations were at the beginning of the season, and how do you think those expectations have evolved during the season? Um, Obviously, last year, there was the the clear and obvious goal of, of getting promotion, I think. They never shied away from that, um, and this time around, there the probably wasn't that you know, that outward prediction that was that was put out either through us or or by the manager in his interviews. Um, but I do think they always felt that a good start, you know, using the momentum from last year. Um, they could probably go into the second half of the season in, in a decent spot. I think part of it was down to you know the, the other teams in the league really uh, probably felt that a few teams. Maybe down to financial difficulties might not be as strong as expected. You know, your likes of Aston Villa, yeah, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, um, and there might be a chance of muscling in on there in the in the top half. And I think that's probably what has transpired. I mean, you know, you look at the top six now, and there's probably the two of the six got got parachute payments. You've got the likes of Bristol City and Norwich, maybe Sheffield United. You know, muscling in in among the the, the big teams. So. Uh, I think probably at the start of the calendar year there was a bit of a, you know, a get together and said, look, if if we're going to do anything this season, it, it needs to happen now. And we saw that that great run of form last month. Obviously, the disappointment of Brentford. But yeah, I do I do think there was a thing of, if it's going to happen this year, it, it's going to happen now. And I think they're probably about maybe where probably where they deserve to be and and probably expected to be at this stage of the season. So you think expectations were as high as that? I, I, I do, yeah. I think I think you look at look at the league, and um, I mean, it is a very competitive league. But you don't see many. I mean, obviously Brentford were very good on Saturday, but then they did show the defensive frailties as well. So, and I think there are a few teams going through that transition, which you do get. Obviously, Sheffield Wednesday chucked a bit of money at it, you know, a couple of years in a row, and then have have had to, you know, try and try and work a way around that, which you know Rovers went through themselves, didn't they, a couple of years ago? You know, where, where you lose, where you're losing your players, and I think there is a bit of an evolution in the Championship. I don't think you ever get, you know, and there's a few teams, you know, are probably always expect to go be up there, but this, the circumstances that clubs can change. So you look at Leeds last year with the the, the with the Steve Evans and, and Paul Heckingbottom thing, and then suddenly they get this World Super Coach, and just things change so quickly at clubs in the Championship that. Um, 
I think they always thought that they were on a, a decent, steady footing um, and could probably have a, a bit of a dart at, at the very least, the top half. What, what do you think it, the club considers to be realistic this season, then? Um, I, I think, Steve, what did he, I'll have to remember, I can't remind myself of my own interview, but <laughs> he, he did mention something you know, around the top half. Consolidation is a horrible word, nobody likes it, but you know, just to get into a position this season where you build into next season where you, you, they can feel like they're expected to be up there. Yeah. Any challenge this season would probably be, you know, a bit, a bit ahead of schedule kind of thing. But it's just about getting yourself in a position where rather than thinking, oh, we, we might have a chance of the top six, that everybody at the club is feeling a bit like, yeah, we, we really can go for the top six and we probably expect to be up there. I guess the transfer window has just closed and that, that at the beginning of January, it seemed to spark a lot of enthusiasm. There were all sorts of rumours that we got about uh, Britta Sombalonga, Sam Gallagher and even Charlie Austin towards the end of the window. I, I, I guess, just how serious were those interests in those kinds of players and particularly at the, those kind of wages? Yeah, well, we'll start with the most obvious is obviously Gallagher. Um, is, is a player known known to the club and a player Mowbray admires. And even last summer, they, they tried to look at on loan and and even a permanent deal with with the numbers that that whether they could get to those. Um, I have to admit, at the start of the month and even towards the end of it, I, I expected Sam Gallagher would be a Rovers player, and I think I think probably he did as well. I, I just find it a bit strange that you know Southampton at the end was so adamant it wouldn't be allowed to leave on loan, but but then he obviously didn't fe- fe- figure in the squad in their in their last game, and and I think Rovers probably expected him to be available because otherwise why would they have left it you know so long to to hang on for yeah. their number one target if they didn't think he was going to be available? A somber longer, I, th- I think he probably was a player that, that they looked at at the very least, you know, it was discussed. Um, Looking at his numbers, I, I don't really see how how that could have worked, and why Borough, you know, would have let somebody go on loan who was so pivotal to you know their their promotion hopes. Even though he doesn't play, we obviously saw his impact off the bench against West Brom. Less less impulf- impactful last night though, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I fancied a weekend off as well, so they've been bad um, But yeah, I think that's going to be the challenge for Rovers going forward. I mean, the figure that sticks in my head is you know from the Championship accounts where the the wage to turnover ratio of 147%. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's going to be, they've worked so hard to get like, you know, a wage structure in place that that they have got at the minute, but it's how do you, pro, you know, progress to that next level without, without speculation. You know, breaking it. And that, that for me is going to be the big interesting dynamic. Like Rovers can, they can get to the, the you know, the transfer fees. It's just the wages. And even when yeah. people like Gallagher are on 20 something thousand a week, um, having played, you know, a couple of a couple of games. I'm not sure whether this was Austin, but I was told that there was a player put to Rovers that would have been a seven figure, you know, with in terms of wages and loan fee all in. It'd have been a seven figure deal. Um and it is just weighing up how much is that worth to to the club out, how much of an impact is going to be. You could argue that that player could be the one to to get you into that top six, but Mowbray's very much a man, you know, if you don't come straight into the team. So if, if you have a couple of weeks bedding in and then not having that bigger impact, it is a big commitment to make. And you've got to factor in the other players in the squad. If if Because uh, footballers talk, they know what everybody's on. Somebody, oh, strolls, into, yeah, somebody yeah. strolls into the dressing room on 30, 35 grand a week. It's going to be like, hang on a minute. I've been here for, for this long. I've produced this. And suddenly this guy's walked in for for six months. So that is going to be the interesting dynamic, I think, is 
is the wage bill more than anything, um, particularly with the turnover of the club, which the bats seem to be battling all the time, you know, to try and increase. Well, obviously, we're under revenue. we're under different FFP rules, of course, in the Championship, and that's much more turnover related. Um, yeah. Whilst the TV income's gone up, the the biggest component of turnover for us is is gate money, and and the yeah. gates the gates just haven't gone up as I'm sure Steve Waggett expected. I mean, I get I get the sense with Tony Mowbray that he spends money as if it was his own. Uh, and there was, yeah. a, there was a quote in one of, one of your articles towards the end of the deadline day where Mowbray was quoted as saying, there's money left in the budget. You have a yearly budget. You either spend it or you don't spend it. Yeah. So I didn't get a sense that he, he was desperate to, to, you know, Harry Redknapp style, dare I say, flash the checkbook. Yeah, and I, it, that's a, I know it's probably not great for supporters to read. And obviously, you know, the ongoing thing with Venkis is they are keen to spend the money. It's just, you know, if you're not seeing the... the um, the evidence of that you're probably thinking well are they really is he just saying that but i really do get the impression that there is money and they are they are saying go on spend and bring somebody in but you know without looking into the ins and outs of it it, it isn't really that easy you know just no. to, to go out and do it and um if mowbray's not willing to upset the apple cart and you know threaten what what is a, a strong close-knit team but then, then you come out of a transfer window and you get four senior players injured in one game, and then you're looking and thinking, well, should we have done? But you can't, you can't live like that. He's got his way of managing, and, and that really is the the way that he's looking to go with it. Yeah, I get well, another sense I get from Mowbray is, is a facet of his personality that's similar to Sooness's. In the on-field ability is one thing, but it's the off-field character that matters as well, and how they mm. will knit into that squad. Yeah, no, certainly he, he talks about it a lot, and so do the players as well. So they're obviously buying into to what he's asking of them, and he, he said he didn't want to stockpile players and and work with a massive squad, um, and they, they've certainly not got that because I mean, it, you look at the month really, you've had Palmer out, uh, so you could say Chapman in, but then if he's not going to play for a few months, and you've obviously then let Downing go out, so it is then up to the, the players coming through the under twenty threes to to really fill that gap. But then if if you're spending probably. It might cost them three million a year, I think, for for the academy category one states. If you're spending that money, you want to you want to see some return on it. Absolutely, yeah. Having spoke to Damien Johnson, he said he's never known a manager have so such an interest in the under twenty threes, know so much about them, and and watch them so regularly. So he's certainly watching um, watching those players coming through with with interest as to whether they can break in. There does seem to be a crop of decent youngsters coming through that, though. people who go regularly, I don't, given that I live in Sheffield, but you, know, you follow on Twitter and you read the match reports and you'll yeah. see them as well. Who were who the ones that sort of like leap out and grab you as well as potential uh, starlets of the future? I've, I'm have i always in the Dan Butterworth and the John Buckley camps. I know they're probably the most obvious ones, but just since I've watched Buckley, uh, he's got that swagger about him as a central midfielder. There's a bit of bite about him. Yeah. Um, he's got a snarl when he plays, and every decision he seems to be to be fighting for it. And it, a bit like Travis, you know, that drive from midfield. And Butterworth's just really got that. He's, he's got that X factor. There's a bit in his temperament which... He's been sent off a couple of times this season for reacting to challenges, and that's obviously something he's going to curb. But he just excites you. He gets the ball. He wants to run at people um, and make things happen. So for me, yeah, for me, those two really do stand out. And I think if Mowbray is talking about opportunities before the end of the season, I think they're probably they're ones to look out for. The, the, the two to uh, to keep an eye on. You talked just a second ago about Venkis being willing to sort of like splash the cash. 
there was an interesting thread on the BRFCS forum recently, which uh, compared the amount of money that we've spent in recent years, in the Venki years, on attackers versus defenders. Given that we've got a negative goal difference, but we're in the top half, is, th- is that a blind spot or is it just a coincidence? Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say there's probably not the evidence to suggest otherwise, um, if you know what I mean, that you look at the players that they've looked to spend, you know, seven figures plus. Um, we had Selina, Freeman, Brereton, Gallagher, all the, they're all attacking players. But yeah. I think it's probably more, more coincidence in that a, they cost more. So if you're going to bring in those players, you do tend to spend the bigger sums. And when you looked at the squad at the start of the season, they'd got more, you know, defensive options. So you know, your back four was probably you're always probably going to stick with Rayer in goal, Lenihan and Mulgrew. You've got two left backs already because you brought Amari in in the January. Yeah. Are you really going to go and spend? Obviously Nyambi, but were you going to spend big on a on a right back? Uh, but the centre-half dynamic, that's going to be another interesting one, that you've got Mulgrew and Lenehan. Um, Rodwell obviously came in as a you know a bit of a take-a-chance on. Um, what do you do with him in the summer? Downing's out of contract. You've got all these young ones, so Wharton's 21 now. You've got Grace and obviously McGlure as well. So that'll be another interesting one with the centre-halves. Yeah. If, if you'd have looked at it, would you have thought, am I going to get in above you know, uh, Lenehan and Mulgrew? I know obviously Patrick Bauer was spoken about, but... Would he have looked and thought, well, am I am I necessarily going to break into you know a central defensive partnership that's you know been so been so stable under the manager? So, I I think a lot of it is down to, to coincidence, but obviously options as well. They, they went into the season with a lot more you know defensive options than they got attacking because of the. I mean, they've they've got Chapman, Antonson, Payne, and, and Armstrong. I know they brought Armstrong back, but bang, there's four attackers gone. You know from last season's squad, so. I think that was probably why they were they were looking more at, at those attacking attacking options. And of course, the irony now is that with the injuries that we've had, and with the the when we lose, we lose big style. We'll come on to that later on in, in our chat. Um, mm. But it, it it does feel like the January window has been an opportunity to perhaps to get a beast in or somebody yeah. to really marshal that defence. We seem to have um, elegant, cultured footballers in the defence, and I just wonder how suitable they are in the championship. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's been, you know, Lenehan's had to feel like he has to be that, you know, leader of the pack because he's, he's you know, he's the one who's probably got that within him. Yeah. Because um, I think every time Rodwell has tried to show him that, he, he's looked, you know, vulnerable. He tried to do it at Wigan a couple of times where he, he ploughed and he got clattered early on, but, you know, he's, he tries to be aggressive and win the ball and it just doesn't really suit him. It, it is when he's calm and composed among himself that we see the we see the best of him. But yeah, you know, I know you keep going back to a Samba and a Nelson type. It's the kind of player that <clears throat> you think every, every squad needs. And yes. probably that, that is the one thing that you do think do think they've lacked. Yeah. Um, and probably thinking back for a while, really, for, for the last one that they did, that they did really have. Mm, it, it is. It, it does feel like that's an area I would expect to be addressed in the summer, but we shall see. But mm. negative goal difference and top half, I suppose that speaks volumes on the one yeah, hand about well, how good our forward line is. Well, you'd like to think at the start of the season, win more than you lose and score more than you concede and you, you'll have had a good there season. There and there yeah. we're, we're, uh, we're we've got half of those ticked at the yes. minute, so... Yes, yeah, interesting one that. Uh, in terms of outgoings, um, the one that everybody was fearful 
that he would leave, of course, was Bradley Dack. I think he's the jewel in the crown. How much genuine interest was there, and, and how much was it was it press speculation? Because we had the likes of, well, Spurs at one point, West Brom, yeah. Southampton, and so, somebody, I, I presume it was from the other side of the, uh, the East Lanks Road, so st- so stirring up Burnley, were yeah. rumoured to be interested. I mean, I'll, I'll not go into the, these things come from from certain places, and, and without going into details, I don't think Rovers were ever massively worried about you know any of the interest that was shown or reported, should I say? Because as Mowbray said, they made the, the stance clear on he's not for sale. That probably put teams off, as did you know the money that they'd have to spend. So, really, how many teams in we've talked about the Championship finances? How many are really going to look at Bradley Dack and think you know we're going to spend that money in January? And for if he is going to go to the Premier League, how many of the you know the teams that would look to sign him also, you know, would take a chance on a lad who's played six months at, at Championship Absolutely. level throughout yeah, his career yeah. and done well. So I do think the dynamic of it, you know, probably works in Rover's favour of of where he does go and his his next move. How does it how does he weigh that up? And I think in January it would have been a difficult you know sell for. A manager to go to a board and say, look, if he wanted to stay in the Premier League or, you know, wanted to get out of the Championship, that those are the numbers that uh, that you'd really you'd really suggest. Yeah, I thought West Brom might have been the sort of club yeah. that would have been interested in that to to get back. Still, you know, st- they've got a reasonable amount of money coming in, parachute payments, all the rest of it. Um, that that was the one that I was fearful of. But uh, yeah, obviously when Barnes went as well, but exactly. They are, yeah, they, they are. I mean, they are completely different players and. When their their problems not being scoring goals, as I mean, they've got Dwight Gale and, and J Rod in their squad, so that's probably not something you'd think. But yeah, would a Championship club really, you know, be able to to commit to those numbers? Absolutely. Um, if, if if they are, I mean, if if they're only you know in the top six that they weren't running away with the league, were they? So I do think that would have been a difficult one to. Um, hmm. To, to get over the line in January. Well, ple- pleased to see that he stayed, obviously, and we'll, we'll see what yeah. unfolds again over, over the summer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, we've reduced our dependency on loan players. We've now only got the ginger ninja himself, Harrison Reed, still with us. Uh, yeah. If you had to put a percentage chance on it, what do you think the outlook is like for keeping Reed and also Jack Rodwell? Reed fans is a crack at, at Southampton first team. Um, Rovers were hope. I think it did. He come like two or three, ga- three or four games into the season, something yeah. like that. They were trying to get him earlier than that, but he was trying to see, you know, how things were at Southampton, and still thought he might get, you know, a chance around the first team. Um, he's just turned twenty-four, so I do think this will be a make-or-break summer for him. Uh, he's he's played a lot of football these last couple of years at Norwich and at uh, obviously Rovers this year. So I think he'll go back in the summer and see how the land lies and. I think it's probably fifty-fifty whether he'll leave Southampton, but but if he does, and you know Rovers can work a financial package together, I think it'd be a pretty high percentage that he'd want to come back, and obviously Rovers would really really want to take him. So I do think he's brought something that probably you know ben, they used to look at Bennett to do, yes, um, which is probably why we've seen Bennett used more in a fullback area of late. Um, so yeah, I do think if if he is going to leave Southampton, then. Rovers would certainly make the move and you'd hope they can put a financial package together. Rodwell, I guess it'll probably come down to who's interested, as it was last summer when when he came to Rovers, there weren't many many, you know, people willing to put their hand up and say we'll take Jack Rodwell and he has slotted him well. Um I know there's a lot made about his his character, but I guess that's just based on a, a Netflix documentary Absolutely. and Sunderland yeah. fans talking. We've seen it the opposite way where Rovers fans have 
given both barrels to players and then he's gone somewhere else and you look at I mean Palmer seems to be you know one who's just slotted in straight at Bristol City it's just opportunity isn't it so you'd like to think there's some loyalty and that he's grateful of the opportunity Moby doesn't think it'll come down to money but but opportunity so if that is the case I'd I'd probably say 70-75% chance that Mm -hmm. they'll look to, to get something done on that one I just wonder whether he'd be the sort of player that would be on the shopping list of a promoted side. Uh, yeah, he's uh, going to be a difficult one to judge, isn't it? Because can you judge him on you know the, the short time at Rovers or the fact that Rovers, you know, have had him in, in close quarters and been able to watch him? Because everybody who sees him in training just said he's an absolute class act. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. Even long before he's had this run in the team, people were saying, "Look, he'll he'll come good, Jack," and he's, he's got that pedigree. So. It will be an interesting one who, who you know, who's interested in him. There'll probably be talk of it, you know, just to try and bump up some interest and, and get the numbers going. So um, that'll be an interesting one. But I do, I do think Rovers will look to, to try and get him tied down because they're the one, you know, they've put the work in to, to get him to, to where he is now. It'd be nice to think that he is, well, A, happy at the club and B, thinks that uh, it's mutually beneficial. But yeah. football is a hard-nosed business these days. Yeah, yeah, and if exactly, someone comes exactly. along and offers him back to uh, Premier League wages, I think we've just got to be realistic and say, well, yeah, let, it, let's pretend we had him on loan for a year. A bit like Craig Bellamy. I was like, I think back of him and sort of say, well, we had him on loan for a year. It was terrific while he was here. But yeah. You always knew there was another yeah, move around the corner for him. Pretty much, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So in terms of... Um, Players then that that are sort of like on, on the front and centre of the mind, one but not for the right reasons. Ben Brereton, I mean that issue is probably not going to go away until he scores some goals and cements mm. a place in the side. Mowbray was quoted again in, in one of your interviews. Ben Brereton is going to be a superstar for this team in coming years. What what do you think is Mowbray's plans for Ben? Because I heard rumours that he, he he wanted to put him in the under twenty threes, but the word was that that wouldn't look good. Yeah, I, I, that that's probably the bit with the twenty threes. It's the PR thing, isn't it? It's you know you you put in your your big money sign in the in the twenty threes, but then you need they need the deal to work, don't they? So, and you, if you're going to get the best out of them, you need to get some you know some confidence and maybe scoring a few goals that might help. But yeah, I do think it you know it, it doesn't look great, does it? As a as an outward look, if you're um, if you're putting him in there, but I actually thought he did what did all right at Brentford at the weekend. Um, it looked a lot smoother, smoother in possession than, we, than we've probably seen. Uh, Mowbray gets the hold, you know, because he probably get probably talk about Brereton more than we do any other player in the squad. Even Dak, really, you know, in press conferences, always it's the fee, isn't it? Brent. Yeah, exactly, and um, and that's always going to be the case. And as as in the same way of you know Mowbray talking about not spending the money, he sees you know spending the money on Brereton that is here on a long term deal, and just because he's got this price tag, doesn't mean that he should have any more or less expectation than than anybody else, or that should give him any more reason to you know to play games than he does. Whether he just sees this as you know a year of bedding into into the surroundings and, and look for him to to kick on then, but. Everybody needs the deal to work, you'd think, and and even for the lad himself, you, you're rooting for him, aren't you? Oh, I don't absolutely. Think there's, there's, yeah, yeah. No, there's no Rovers fan who's going to be looking at anybody who you know who've written him off and said to him from the first time I've seen him, he's rubbish, he's this and he's that. They'll still want him to do well because a, he's a Rovers player and you've committed this much money to him, so Correct. you want to see some return on that, whether it be in terms of the goals or you know any any future sell-on value because. They've committed a lot to him. So, as for what we'll see for you know for the rest of the season, 
we'll probably still see him, you know, used in the, in the same way that he is. But as we've said, that the manager sees him every day in training and is committed to him. He talks highly about him, and so I think he'll just, you know, stay stay where he is now and and you know have have a similar impact on on the team and be used in in a similar way really what, what do you think mowbray believes his best position is um, does he give think, any clues away i think as a 10 surprisingly i think i can see ben brereton playing off somebody in years to come yeah. maybe that when when we sell when dak sell, for 25 million yeah <laughs> or tw- oh, i keep adding another note on, um, <laughs> 250 million maybe that'd be good exactly um <laughs> If and when, yeah, Dak does go. Maybe he's, you know, he's seen that as a, as a possible. Because if he's talking about he's not ready to play the Danny Graham role, then because he can play all across them, so that, that's the benefit that he does bring. That you know, you're probably going to find a home for him on either side. Or I, I can see him playing, you know, just just off a just so, off yeah. a striker really. To, and I think that'd help him if you've got a, a Danny Graham taking all the brunt of stuff for you. I think. I wouldn't say it's the easiest position to play, but you know there's probably less pressure in that in that position when you don't have to to lead the line. You can you can Absolutely. roam around and yeah. maybe maybe we will see him given a bit of a go. I think I think that was the role he was probably playing on Saturday, which probably did suit him a bit. He should have linked up well with Armstrong, their their big mates as well. So maybe there's something in a, a front line of years to come of Brereton playing just off Armstrong rather than the other way around. Yeah, as you say, you just you just hope that the kid gets gets a couple of goals quickly. And it's um, probably been it's probably been more in hope than expectation so far. That yes. you've probably not, you've probably not seen anything so far that's made you think. Oh, I tell you what, we're going to bring Brereton on. He's going to score. But th- there's always those moments, isn't there, where you're probably saying this is going to be his day. This is going to be his day, and you're just hoping that day is is sooner rather than later. Well, I keep thinking back to Deepdale and and that that goal. Yeah. Oh, and I must yeah. admit at the time when he scored it, my my head turned immediately left to look at the assistant linesman because I thought he was offside. And when the flag went up, I had no qualms about it whatsoever. Then when he watched on TV, like, oh my god. Yeah, it is one of those sliding doors moments, isn't it? He he scores, his confidence is sky high, he bags in the next game and before you know it, you've got well, a superstar on your hands. It, I think he was off, but he scored it at Brentford after probably can't have been two minutes, um, which was probably his first start. And you just thought, God, if if that you know, if that counts, everyone's thinking, flipping it, we've, we've yeah. signed a lad and first start, and he's yeah. scored two minutes in it, a Premier League team, and it's just the way things work. And you've probably seen plenty of like, look at Dominic Samuel, what did he score five goals in August? Yeah. Um, and then scored yeah. three times for the rest of the season. So they work in different ways, these things, don't they? Yeah, and so much, so much I think of elite sport is played in the head and so much is, is about how strong you are between the ears as much as anything mm. else. And that's yeah. that's what you hope. You know, I hope you know, the crowd can just give him some support. As, as you said earlier, while he's wearing a blue and white shirt and he's a Rovers player, he gets our support. And there's just yeah. no, no other no other pathway to go down. Now, when when Rovers have gone this season, they've gone... Proper gone. Bristol City, Swansea, Preston, and then last Saturday. Um, what's the what do you think the root cause is for this? And what what does what does Mowbray think about the, those kinds of results? How much frustration do you sense when you talk to him? I, I think it was in his first press conference where he did suggest he had this style as a manager of you know when you go behind we'll chuck forwards on and we'll go for it and we'll we'll lose four or five rather than you know one nil. I do think he has that bit of an approach to management that. You know, if we're behind, there's no point losing by the odd goal. We might as well 
go down trying to get back into it. But for me, I think it's just the, the game just gets stretched. Um, and that's where Rovers look vulnerable. I think, you know, in the compact, they've got the two defensive midfielders behind the ball. Um, that That's when they're at the best playing at high intensity. But when they become ragged and, you know, gaps start to open up and that they can get picked off, uh, that that's when the goals come, I think. And you didn't, you didn't want to do that at Brentford. But the biggest concern is they just look well beaten too often. You look and there's 15 minutes to go. Yeah. And there could be a couple of goals down and you think, it could no. end up five. Yeah, you think you're thinking not about two all. You're thinking no, how many is this going to finish? Because they just look well beaten. Um, I think it's nine times in fifteen away games now they've conceded more than once. Um, and yeah, no teams. I think Ipswich might have conceded thirty-one as well. I think Rose have conceded thirty-one away from home. And they are worrying statistics, particularly you know when you can go three games without conceding, and nobody previously put it down to you know it's just. You don't see these results coming and bang, they come along. But I think it's got to the point now where you know it's gone beyond that. It's, too, it's happening too often, and I yeah. think the um, you know the, the symptoms and the traits are too similar, mm. uh, and that does make me wonder about mental resilience or uh, yeah that that willingness to fight back and. That's he put that down to you know and the um, the mentality you know with the conceding goals in quick succession, which hampered him probably the back end of last year. He, when I asked him on Saturday about you know these, these capitulations, he said he thought it was an anxiety to be too keen to get back into matches too soon and you try and do that and, and you get blown away. But I'm not sure we've seen enough evidence of that to, to be the real reason. But I do think it is when, when games get stretched, they do look, do look a little vulnerable. And I look for leadership on the pitch as well. When I talked earlier about having a beast in the back four, yeah, yeah, it, 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 you're looking for somebody to sort of like just hold it together, uh, yeah. but also give a rollicking when a rollicking is due. Mm. Keep people on pro- the toes. Yeah, probably. I know he was injured. Obviously, he's out of it. But you know, when your centre half limps off when you're five two down in the last few seconds, it, yeah. it doesn't really give that that greater impression as it did. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was, it, the optics don't look good, as they say. No, it was it was a disappointing end on Saturday. But the scoreline probably was harsh because the first half, I mean, Brentford were really poor at the back, but really good going forward, and it, that probably made it more difficult for Mobile. You know that you're two 0 up early, and you're thinking, "Well, we've conceded, we've kept three clean sheets in a row. Should we be able to see this out?" And really, that that Brentford back four, the best way Rovers had got was really to keep going for it. Yeah, as, as soon as they scored one, yeah. I I lost all confidence at that point because you could almost like see them all the the Rovers players looking at each other. And it was such a sloppy mistake from such an unusual source in Travis. It's cracky, cracky. If he's going to have a bad game today, then we really are in trouble kind of yeah. thing. I mean, I've not really watched it closely. I mean, the manager thought it was a foul on Travis, but I know what you mean with that one. And then, then you've lost Dak and Graham yeah. 10 minutes into the second half. So that's probably then taken And we're goosed away. at that point, yeah. You probably look taking away your chances of you know trying and going, going and getting a third or... A, fourth and killing it off and the irony of not having a Casey Palmer to bring on as a like-for-like replacement for Dak yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah and, and a Paul Downing on the bench as a like-for-like replacement at the back mm. yeah it's all those things that sort of like uh, you sort of think well it's just not our day today arguably our best 45 minutes and our worst 45 minutes of the season have come in consecutive matches what what does Tony Mowbray think contributed to this, and are we are, are we weaker in our reserve strength than perhaps we first thought? Well, I mean, you'd have to say that when Dak and Graham went off, 
things things went downhill but then you know you could take how influential they are to the side you take that out of anyone and it's a big um, loss yeah but i mean it was the manager said i think it was in october when he first said he felt he was a striker short you know after armstrong went uh, sorry after samuel got injured yeah um and we had the time at swansea you know we we kept going through Dan, danny comes off and they concede yes um, so yes. from that point of view I, I, that made it even more surprising they didn't bring anybody in and that's why I was confident, you know, the Gallagher was coming in. You know, the, the longer the month went on, I thought, well, they're just waiting now. They're just waiting. So, obviously, losing three players as they did on Saturday inside an hour of, you know, Evans, Dak and Graham probably probably didn't help. And there was, a, you know, a few, two, you mentioned Travis, a few players, you know, didn't quite hit the levels that they have been hitting. Um, and I don't think Rovers are quite at that level, you know, in the championship yet where, you know, a few can have an off day. Yeah, you can't can carry through. more than one, I think. No, like last year they could probably coast through with some, you know, sixes and sevens yeah. and get there, whereas now they probably need... You've got to be on three, it. Yeah, three or four hitting top straps and, and the rest not far behind. And I think just on, on Saturday there were, there were just a few dipping dipping a bit below the usual levels and couldn't get to the intensity that they'd got to in the uh, in the whole game. See, there's one contributive factor you've not mentioned. I think it's only fair to bring it to life. Um, you didn't see the whole game, did you? I didn't know, but you um, did see the Brentford one. Is that right? Ex- yeah, exactly. I've, I've, witnessed all, <laughs> I've witnessed all the defeats, um, so I've missed I've missed two Rovers games since I've taken over in what, two year, two and a half years, and I've missed two wins. So it probably uh, probably says more about me than anything. Well, the, the whole game, I have to say, was uh, I know a number of people have waxed lyrical about it. Uh, I thought it was one of our most composed performances. Yeah, probably well, have, the best under Mowbray potentially. Even. Yeah, I have managed. To, I have managed to watch it back, um, and it, yeah, it was very impressive. I mean, they, they gave Hull just no time. Did they just absolutely thinking? You're thinking, oh, they'll bring the ball out now and then bang Bennett's in there or Reed's nicking the ball off, and and that that is where they're at the best. And it yeah. is getting that intensity levels, and I think the manager has said that a similar thing. He calls it foot flat to the floor, and to win a game in the Championship, Rovers have to have. The, the foot right on it and, it and if they take it off at any point that's when we can see you know and start to dip below the levels and yeah. um, they probably give give a few points and goals away there were a number of games last season where you, you could sort of say well we've won this one but we've won it because we're in a lower division yeah and the chances that we've conceded you know, the ball would fizz across the area someone would lash at it and uh, you know, whack it over the bar or whatever. You think well, that would have been punished for that, and we are getting punished for it. I thought Brentford was sort of clinical in their precision. They seem to yeah, pick like us off. About, yeah, like I said, getting stretched and they're good enough to be able to get into the final third. And it's one pass, and it's I mean the goal where Morpay scored for the fourth. Rodwell, he was stood next to him at one minute, and then bang a one-two, and he's he's cleaned through, and he's he's switched off momentarily, and the ball's in the back of your yeah. net. And I think that is a a big difference this year. So how would you describe the morale of the squad then after after Saturday? You know, uh, well, I suppose Griffin Park is an interesting counterpoint when you think yeah, about I, I, where we were two years ago and then versus last Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just as difficult as getting players to stop on Saturday as it was on that day. But, I can imagine. Uh, no, thankfully, Bradley Dack came to the... Uh, came to the rescue. Came to my rescue. But yeah, yeah. It, to be fair though, even when Mowbray first came in, the, the morale was good. I mean, they got some big characters, you know, in that squad when they went down. A lot of likable lads, um, and that that's still the case now. And it is a cliche that you know you tighten it, and we all get on. And it, obviously, you think everybody says that, and probably when you are doing well, everybody can say that. It is when you know things are things are going badly, 
But I think the fact that Mowbray, you know, gives him a responsibility within his team. I know he's mentioned it before that, you know, he has some players that he can turn to, you know, get involved in in decisions and, and they're not afraid to, you know, they feel honest enough with each other, you know. So yeah. after the after the games against Preston and Wigan where they had a they had a team meeting and, and everybody chipped in, I think people feel like they can do that, you know, without digging each other out there they're honest enough with each other to be able to do that. And I think that comes from the manager and also from, you know, being around each other for quite a while. As I mean, the, the team that started at Brentford on that relegation day, there's seven of those still, you know, firmly in amongst the first team plans now. So this is a team that's really grown together and been through a lot together. And I, I think that has contributed to, to the feeling really with the, within everything. Hmm. Uh, that's certainly the impression that you get as a, as a fan. They do seem tight knit, but as you say, uh, like again, the, the hard nosed cynic in me sort of says yes, but they would say that, wouldn't they? But there do seem to be some really, really decent human beings in that squad, and yeah. that, that compares very favourably with the uh, players that we've had on the books over the last few years. It's uh... yeah, and the pl- and the players they bring in, and I think that is the difference. That now you, you go and watch Rovers, and you've got people you know you can identify with that. That want to be here and are here for you know they're signed up not just they're not for the right player. reasons. Yeah. They're not a loan player. They're not here on a free transfer. They're yeah. not here for the, for a last paycheck. That they're here because they want to to progress themselves and the club at the same time. And that's probably contributing a bit of forward momentum that uh, that they've got. Indeed. So recognizing <laughs> all of that, what's your prediction for our finishing position? Uh, I said tenth, and I said that actually in. Before they'd signed a player in Austria, uh, I wow. was asked by a member that it was Rovers coaching staff, where do you think we're going to finish? I said, oh, I think we'll finish 10th. So I'm, I'm sticking with it. I think that's that's about where they are and probably where they, where they deserve to be, really. I mean, there's a few teams probably finishing a bit higher than you think. Um, and probably a few will finish below them that you'd probably expected to finish above. But I think, I think roundabout, if they can finish 10th and... I just want to keep the season interesting for as long as as long as you can, really. You know, just to yeah to be to be in amongst it. Never really get more than four or five points. You know, behind that top yeah. six, if if they can, just to to always feel like oh, we we can go on a run and we, we can get there if if possible. But yeah, it is it is about. I mean, they've drawn a hell of a lot of games, which you know you can turn that attempt take them out of the way, can't you? That they go one way and you probably. Heading towards the bottom six, they go the other way, and, you, and you're right up in the top six. So, but I think where they are as a squad, I feel like they are a, a top half championship team, and have shown enough throughout the season that they can be that. Um, and I do hope that they can have an end to this season. You know, that really just gives that bit of momentum to them, and um, yeah, rewards rewards probably what has been a, a tough a tough season in terms of you know there's been a few moments where where they've been questioned. Things have been asked about him, but yeah, if they can finish the season off with a bit of forward momentum, I think that would be, it's be a really good base. It's important for season ticket sales as well, isn't it? It's important to attract new players to, to show that you know, the trajectory is very yeah. definitely positive, and all of that I think is important. But I have to say, if we finish top half or even you know top ten for a side coming up. We spent a lot of money on Brereton, but other than that, you know, we've 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 acted prudently. I think I think that would be a terrific achievement. Mm. I mean, yeah, you look at the starting lineup and really who, in Dak seven hundred and fifty. I mean, Armstrong's is becoming a, a bargain more by the week into with with his. He's really really blossomed, I think, in the last few weeks. So yeah, you, you're looking at the table and you're thinking, well, Forrest spent fifteen million on one player. 
you've got Swansea just behind them who were obviously Premier League stoking 15th Wednesday and 16th you think about their wage bill um, and more or less barring a disaster they're going to finish as the the best uh, promoted team but, uh, yeah I think yeah they'll certainly not give up the ghost on the no. on the top six while it's still on the horizon no but that that will be terrific um, but I'd say anything in the top half for me I think will be a, a real result mm. Rich thank you once again so much for giving up your time it's very kind of you uh, we do appreciate it and uh, we look forward to reading uh, a report on Saturday that is well, on a favourable result rather than last Saturday's yeah I know well, we that was the start of the capitulation wasn't it Br- Bristol City where I, rem- I remember thinking there where Mulgrew stuck him one nil up from a corner and it was looking like six games unbeaten you're yeah. thinking it's, e- it's easy this championship yeah we've adjusted beautifully yeah. haven't we oh hang on a minute <laughs> yeah went into an international break on the back of a 4-1 pacing and things were looking uh, looking quite so great. Well, if worse comes to the worst, you'll just have to send Alex along to all our exactly, remaining yeah, fixtures. Exactly. A few more weekends off, and I'll, uh, <laughs> we'll have a whip round and <laughs> keep yeah, sending you for the weekend in Berlin. Yes. Yeah, send me away. Fantastic. Thanks once again, Richard. Is appreciated. No bother. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to the BRFCS podcast, the only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019 season by the New York City Rovers. Don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com. Yeah, it was the last game, it was you know, the Brentford game, they got relegated. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing an interview with Mowbray and realised I'd not pressed record on my dictaphone. <gasps> so I'd asked all these questions to the manager. <laughs> Um, and <clears throat> luckily, there was because um, they were going down. There was a lot of national journalists there. Yeah. And one bloke had not taken his phone away, so I had to plead with him and say, "Please, can you share? <laughs> Excuse me, can you send it?" I was like, "The what? The one game that I've done it." By the way, massive thank you to Joe Bamford, uh, BRFCS forum member, and his band The Symmetry for providing all the incidental music used in this episode. I hope you'll look them up on Facebook, and if they're playing live near to you, well, go and see them. This is-